What is up, everybody? Welcome back to Gadget Reason Radio. My name is Sean Alfinito, and I'm your host. And today's episode of The Tech Perspective is going to be talking about the idea of being platform agnostic when it comes to tech products. Now, that is to say that you can remain completely um, unbiased or uh, avoid being you know, too loyal to a certain brand to the point where you can pretty much appreciate and even consider buying any product if it happens to be the one that you think is the best fit for you. Whether that's uh, game consoles, Xbox versus PS4 versus Nintendo, uh, whether that's you know Windows versus Mac, whether that's iOS versus Android, there's so many different platforms, so many different things where people seem to cling to one and then feel a need to defend their option or their choice uh, against all odds. So even when faced with a compelling argument of why a certain platform may be better or worse, uh, you know, people have a tendency to sometimes not want to budge and want to sort of defend their choice rather than just admitting that something may be better, but um, that they went with a certain direction or they went a certain direction for a certain reason and, and just leave it at that. Now, I myself have really, really tried. And I think, you know, one of the things I pride myself on is being very indifferent when it comes to you know, platforms and brands and and operating systems. I consider myself to be a Windows expert and a Mac OS expert. I have, for the past 10 to 15 years, always had a full-blown gaming PC that I personally built and that I customized all the software and set everything up how I wanted it. And I've always had a Mac at the same time. So, and that's going all the way back to the original Bondi Blue iMac. So, I've always had both, and both serve their their unique purposes in in my life, and um, and the same goes for you know game consoles. I always had a Sega Genesis and a Super Nintendo, or a GameCube and a PS2, and an Xbox original, and you know a, a PS3, a PS4. I mean, I've had them all. I I don't choose one over the other. I appreciate them all for what they have, and I think that allows me to speak pretty openly and honestly about. The benefits of all of them because I truly am not what I would call a fanboy of any one product. Now, that's not to say that I don't have certain products that I gravitate to, but now you're talking about personal preferences much more than, than a diehard bias towards a certain product. So, for example, um, I've always been a huge Android fan. I was involved in the original launch of the first G1, which is the first Android phone that ever came out, and I would you know, show it to everybody and I bragged about how great Android was and all the benefits of Android over the iOS platform at the time. And I went on and on about Android for years. I had the original Nexus phone from from Google. I thought that was one of the best smartphones I've ever owned, even to this day. And uh, I've had all the Galaxy phones. I've had uh, big phones, small phones. I've had every version of the iPhone. So I, I've basically used them all. And I love so many things about Android. I am so much enjoying my Google Pixel 2 XL experience right now um, that I can't, I can't even say enough good things about the Google Pixel 2 XL. And that's even in spite of the fact that even the most diehard Android proponents are even talking about the issues with the Pixel 2 XL. I, on the other hand, can look past uh, some of the blue color tint shifting on the display, uh, things like the the lack of an overall saturation on the OLED panel that, that uh, Google chose to use for the Pixel 2 XL. I can look past a lot of those things and still say that the Google Pixel 2 XL is one of the greatest Android phones I've ever used, and hands down, I would pick it over even something like the Samsung Galaxy S8. Um, I just think it has a better camera. I think they just did an incredible, you know, an incredible job 
with the entire software and user experience of the Pixel 2 XL. But at the same time, you know, Google still has a lot of issues that I think a lot of people now just don't even talk about. I think it's just become so accepted that just that's just part of using a Android device that it doesn't even get mentioned in reviews. Um, in the past couple of months, I've used a an essential phone, a Pixel 2 XL, a Galaxy Note 8, and uh, let's see, the OnePlus 5. And all of them have had some similar glitches, related issues, uh, software crashes, you know, force close type stuff. Uh, they've all had similar issues. And so it, you can say it's not a, a phone or a device or a manufacturer related problem. It's definitely something that's at the core of just how Android works. And those things can range from just slightly annoying to, to downright uh, experience breaking at times. And so when you look at that and then compare that to the same time frame of usage and the same type of demands that I'm putting on a device and apply it to, let's say, the iPhone 10, for example, there's just no denying that there's just not as many issues. Now, that's a lot of people will take that to be that I'm just biased towards Apple. But in reality, it's more about that I wish that Android could eliminate those things and come just that little bit closer to the experience that you get on iOS because it would make it that much easier for me to just use a single Android device as my daily driver, you know, for, for long periods of time. Whereas right now I'll carry my Pixel 2 XL with me everywhere I go because it has a better camera, because it has a really great experience and because I just like the phone. I like the way it feels. I like the display. But at the end of the day, you know, my Apple phone or my iPhone is just is just more reliable. My iPhone 10 is more dependable, it's more reliable, I can count on it in more situations to just work the way I expect it to and not have to futz around with any kind of issues. So for that reason, I carry both of them and I accept that one is better at some things and the other is better at other things and that's just the way it is. Now, in the past couple of days, I've stumbled across two articles that uh, I would consider to be extremely rare in the tech space, whether that's on YouTube with tech YouTubers or with um, tech journalists. In most cases, tech journalists and even tech YouTubers have a tendency to, even when they're trying their hardest to be completely unbiased and give a fair, impartial opinion about something, uh, they just they can't seem to hide the fact right from the get-go in many cases that, that they have preferences towards one thing over another. And you know, I, I guess in part, that's just human nature. We have our favorites and we have certain things that individually we enjoy or that we look to as, as uh, things that we expect and preferences that we have, th we have things that we like. And so we're naturally going to overlay those preferences when we're giving a review of a product. And so those are not always going to align with someone else who may be reading or watching the video or whatever. So um, in this particular case, though, I read two articles that were incredibly they were the, the most impartial sounding articles about uh, products that I've, I've ever seen. And the first one came from Android Central, and it was uh, Daniel Bader over at uh, Android Central, Android Central, excuse me, wrote an article called iPhone 10, the Android Central Review. And I'm not going to read the whole thing to you. I'll leave you a link here in this segment if you want to read the article. I, I highly recommend it. It's a great read, and uh, it's an, a great example of how to write a completely impartial uh, review of a product, even when you're you're writing it for a, a website or a blog that's completely dedicated to to Android, which I found really refreshing. Um, but basically, the article 
was a full breakdown of what it's like to use the iPhone 10 and sort of comparing it to some of the top tier Android devices that he's used in, in you know, the recent months. And, you know, just to highlight just kind of a few things, he kind of touches on Face ID and how Apple has done a miraculous job with Face ID over anything that's been done on Android. And one of the quotes is that Face ID is so good and consistent, you don't even need Touch ID. Until Android manufacturers can get there, they should stick to fingerprints. Um, You know, he gets really deep into talking about, yes, there's been other Android devices that have had face recognition or or retinal scanning, but uh, he talks about just how the fact they just don't work anywhere near as, as well as on the iPhone X. And he also gets very deep into the API issue. And this is something that I did when I did my uh, iPhone 10 review, I talked uh, very specifically about the fact that, you know, one of the things that makes Face ID work so well is the fact that Apple has embedded Face ID into the Touch ID process and the APIs and just in the core of iOS. So app developers don't even need to do anything to update. If they already had an app that supported Touch ID, right out of the gate, it will automatically also support Face ID. And that's something that you can't say on the Android side of things. And he gives a very fair assessment of that and talks you know, basically about how that is one of the big reasons that, that um, Android biometric, you know, facial scanning, retinal scanning hasn't been as successful. And so I really appreciated that. Um, You know, he talks about the physical stuff a lot and and a lot of the things you typically would see in a review. Um, He mentions the notch. And uh, in his opinion, the notch is something that he can't ignore. It definitely is annoying. Um, And he talks a lot about some of the the standard OLED issues like blue tint shifting and all that. And he's very fair in his assessment that the uh, the iPhone display suffers a lot less than a lot of other phones from from those issues. Um, But uh, um, you know, in his experience, the notch does does sort of stick out, and it's something that he can't overlook. Um, I appreciate his opinion, and I thought it was fair. Um, I personally don't find the notch to be that annoying, but I also said the same thing in my review of the Essential Phone. I thought the notch on the Essential Phone was kind of cool. It makes it look modern and sleek and and sort of interesting because you have this display that wraps around this cutout and your mind kind of can't comprehend what how can that even be possible how can a how can a display have a chunk taken out of it and still work and um i feel the same way about the iphone i think it just looks very modern and and it's interesting it's a unique interesting sort of look and it doesn't doesn't really get in the way of most things that i'm trying to do so it doesn't bother me um, another aspect that he mentions quite a bit is the the gestures for the iPhone. He talks a lot a lot about the gesture system in the UX for the iPhone 10 and compares it to some of the uh, gestures that are available on Android devices. And um, he gives a fair assessment of it that they work fine, but it's nothing mind blowing. But he does. That, but then he gets into some of the uh, technical aspects of App, Apple's Taptic Feedback Engine. Um, which is basically how they create a haptic sensation of, of pressing on the screen. And uh, he talks a lot about how it's really something very unique and the way that it can conveys a sense of touch is something that really um, all other manufacturers of, of all kinds of products could be looking to sort of mimic and copy. And, you know, I agree with that. And I also would say that if you look at something like the Nintendo Switch, uh, Nintendo obviously did something similar with the Joy-Cons. They did their, they call it HD Rumble, but it's essentially the same idea. They're, they were looking at it in from the perspective of how can we take uh, a simple vibrating motor 
and turn that into something that that provides a more realistic haptic sensation of, of different types of, of haptic feedback than just simply vibrating around. And that's basically what Apple set out to do with the Taptic engine on both the Apple Watch and, and their iPhones, which was to create something that feels less like just a vibration and more like a tapping or, or a clicking. And they did such a good job that it, it's pretty it's pretty amazing when you feel um, even on the iPhone 7 the, the the press of the of the virtual home button it really did feel like you were pressing a button after a couple of days and with the Apple watch if you've never worn an Apple watch the notification system on the Apple watch does not feel like a buzz or a vibration it feels like someone's thumping you on the wrist it's a very unique sensation so I appreciated that he he talked a lot about that and was very uh, very unbiased he he mentions what's great and what's not. Um, he also does a, does a pretty deep assessment on the cameras, and uh, you know, again, I won't get into all the details. But at the end of the day, he he says the cameras are great; they're definitely up there with basically the best cameras you can get on a smartphone. But at the end of the day, uh, in spite of what DxO Mark says about the image quality, he says that the Pixel 2 XL still has better better, more consistent images. And I 100% agree with that. My Pixel 2 XL still beats my iPhone at least eight out of 10 times. Now, I would say there are very, very often many situations where the differences are so slight that you really could never tell the difference unless you were really looking. But the iPhone 10 um, definitely, I would say, falls just short of the Pixel 2 XL's image quality. And the fact that um, Google is beating Apple at the portrait mode game is really impressive and kind of ironic, especially when they're doing it with a single camera and just using machine learning to, to create the bokeh effects. And it looks in almost every case that I've used it better, especially on the front facing or the selfie camera. On the rear cameras, I would say Apple has the slight edge, um, but at the end of the day, you're talking about very small differences and and the fact that they're doing it all with one camera is really impressive. So again, I appreciated his perspective, his honesty, and uh, he wasn't really slamming one or the other. And uh, he, he put together what I would consider to be a very impartial opinion of that. Um, he goes on to talk about battery life and, uh, you know, he gives a fair assessment of the battery life as well. He puts it somewhere between the 8 and the, uh, the 8 Plus, and I would agree with that. For the most part, my iPhone 10 makes it an entire day. I've never really had to worry that I was going to run out of battery life. Um, I'm typically down to about, you know, 30 to 40% at the end of the day, and that's going a long day, like 8 a.m. to, let's say, you know, 12... 1230 at night. So, uh, you know, a, a pretty long day. I'm still getting what I would consider to be all day battery life. So, you know, and that's pretty much the same assessment that, that he gives. So, um, you know, one of the other things that he mentioned specifically was that there's no denying that, um, you know, that iOS just feels faster. And this was this was probably the biggest thing that he touched on that I was shocked about. This is something you definitely do not hear Android fanboys or typically anybody who seems to be a little bit more on the Android side of things that's in tech journalism or tech YouTubers writing or speaking about. They will almost never truly give Apple props for being just an overall faster, more streamlined, just smooth, silky smooth experience. Um, you know, they, they just it's not something that really gets mentioned that often. And he talks at length about just how incredibly smooth and, you know, fast the entire iOS experience is from top to bottom. 
And, you know, that's everything from just scrolling through, you know, home pages, swiping through apps, scrolling through a web page. He just talks about the, the consistent frames per second that is just embedded at the core of iOS is something really remarkable. And, you know, he says that you think your Galaxy or Pixel is buttery smooth, but when you compare it to the flawless movement of an iPhone 10 home gesture and you'll quickly be humbled. You know, that that statement alone, it was was shocking to me. I, I did not expect to to see a a writer who writes for an Android publication to give that much credit to um, the user experience or, or the way that Apple um, has refined the experience on, on iOS. Um, and then even to take it a step further, he mentioned something that I've been speaking about for years, and I still, again, I don't hear, you know, MKBHD, um, you know, any of the writers that write for The Verge or any of these other magazines that seem to be so heavily, uh, I guess, biased towards Android, I don't see them ever mentioning this. And he mentions the apps are still so much better on iOS. And, you know, he says that I want to believe in 2017 that we're finally not dealing with this anymore. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, developers just, you know, are more inclined to create a better app experience for iOS than on Android. It just is what it is. Um, and, and I think that... Um, you know, I think that that's something that I've been talking about for a long time is that I, I still go back to, you know, my, my Android device and I'll open the same exact app that I'm using on my iPhone and it looks completely different. The experience just does not look as good. And, and then you combine that with the fact that some apps just still don't even come to Android or if they do, they come, you know, years later. Um, there's just no denying that there's still a gap in the, the app stores and the quality of apps that are being made. In one other specific quote, he says, uh, it's 2017 and you still can't count on Android apps to be of the same quality as their iOS counterparts. You know, he even references specifically his mobile banking app, um, which is nowhere near the same experience on Android for a multitude of reasons, whether it's just the actual graphical and visual presentation to the fact that it incorporates Touch ID or in this case, Face ID to instantly unlock the app, you know, this is something that I've talked about quite a lot over the past few years. And uh, it was even worse when we were dealing with Android tablet versions of apps, which basically didn't get updated to look at all like a tablet app. They were just blown up versions of the the standard phone versions of the Android app. But, um, you know, my mobile banking apps have always looked incredible. And I've used multiple different banks. I had Bank of America. I had Wells Fargo. Um, I've had Chase for the past eight or nine years. Um, all those apps look so much different on, you know, their iOS versions than they do on Android. So um, yeah, this is something that I've talked a lot about. And I've always felt like I was like the, the only person who was referencing these things. So um, I was really impressed to hear uh, someone that is obviously pretty heavily invested in Android um, talk about these things in the same way that that I would. So uh, definitely very impartial, very great article. And I would, I would really recommend that everybody check it out, whether you're an iOS or Apple fan, or if you're an Android user, it's still definitely eye-opening to see someone, uh, you know, who, who definitely has no reason to be accused of being biased one way or the other. If anything, he'd be biased towards Android to, um, to be as impartial and honest in his uh, review of the iPhone X. The other article that I mentioned at the beginning of this segment 
uh, was written by Ben Sin over at Forbes.com. And if you've ever read anything from Ben before or followed him anywhere, you kind of get the sense that he's not really an Apple fan. A lot of people would probably consider him an Apple hater even. But um, he wrote an article called The iPhone 10 Review, So Refined It Will Convert the Most Devout Android User. And, um, you know, he goes on to discuss a lot of the same uh, pros and cons of Android versus iOS and uh, a lot of the the benefits or the the nice features that Apple has added to the 10, um, as mentioned in the previous article I was discussing. But um, what's more interesting is that he talks a lot about the notch specifically and all the tech inside of it being a big part of the reason why he switched to the iPhone 10 over an Android device. And ultimately, at the end of the article, he basically just sums it up by saying that there's so many impressive features and refinements to the iPhone 10 that it just all works so smoothly and so so perfectly um, as a whole that even in spite of some of its shortcomings, um, he was won over enough to switch and he is currently using the iPhone 10 as his daily driver. Um, you know, again, you know, I think that it, it's very interesting because, you know, there's people that could take comments off the cuff um, of someone saying, the reasons why they prefer one device over another or one brand or one platform over another and automatically just assume that that person is is either you know a, a fanboy and is trying to just pass themselves off as as being unbiased um, but the reality is is that like i said at the beginning of this i love android devices i love so many things about android um, I love its flexibility, its openness. I still love the fact that I can customize my home screen in, in any way that I want, positioning apps where I want them, leaving it relatively empty, uh, only including certain apps on the main home screen that I use all the time. These things are great. I still find myself in many cases, even though I've had the same home screen set up on my iPhones for the past several years, I still find many cases where I'm hunting and pecking or trying to search for where the heck did I put that app, what folder it's in. Um, and that's just because my home screen has so many apps on it. And if uh, Apple ever allows us to set it up where I maybe have two or three folders and three or four apps on my home screen and that's it and everything else is just empty space, I will really appreciate that. And that's not to say anything about the aesthetics of being able to see more of your wallpaper that you have in the background by not cluttering it up or covering it up with apps. You know, there's, there's a lot of things to like about Android. The fact of the matter is, is that I love both of them and I can appreciate all the things that they both do well. But for me, in my current state, there's a lot of things that I rely on on a day to day basis that I need from the iPhone 10 and from the more reliable platform. And that's all that really it comes down to. I really don't have any other reason or justification for choosing the iPhone 10 as my daily driver, my first uh, go to device over, say, the uh, the Google Pixel 2 XL or any other Android device. So that is my thoughts today on uh, and my perspective on being platform agnostic when it comes to smartphones. And I could apply most of this same thinking to just about any other platform you can think of. Um, I currently have a, you know, an, a 5K iMac as my go-to workstation for graphic design, video editing, and audio production. But at the same time, for 3D modeling and sculpting and for gaming, I have a fully decked out gaming rig sitting under my desk as well. And, you know, in my living room, I have, you know, currently at least I have a Vizio M70 D3 4K 
HDR television. And the reason why I went that with that television over a Samsung or a Sony that was relatively close to the same price was simply the size versus features fit my needs. Um, it wasn't anything anything personal. It wasn't that I have a diehard uh, allegiance to Vizio or a hate for Samsung or Sony. It's just, it worked out that the, the features that I wanted, the image quality that I was looking for, and the size all matched up with the budget that I was willing to spend. Um, and the same can be said for the fact that I have currently a Xbox One X, a PS4 Pro, and a Nintendo Switch all sitting on my home entertainment center. So, you know, I'm pretty agnostic when it comes to deciding which platform or, um, you know, or which operating system or which manufacturer or anything else that I want to choose. I just kind of go with what works and what I enjoy. So hopefully you guys out there all kind of take that same approach because you can have a much better experience as a whole if you start ignoring the brands, the platforms, the allegiances to certain uh, companies. And if you could just go out there and say, I'm going to find the best product I can for the price that I'm willing to spend. And I don't really care who makes it. So that's my thoughts on that, and that's going to do it for this episode of The Tech Perspective. If you guys have any thoughts or comments or anything you'd like to add to this discussion, you can always hunt me down on social media at Gadget Reason and leave me some comments there. Just re reference this episode. Um, or if you're listening via the Anchor app, you can always just leave me a call-in or some comments right here uh, in this segment. So thanks for listening, and I will talk to you guys later. Later.